from this platform play that we're, we're pursuing, but we really think there's a lot of people who can turn their knowledge into a great audio course, right? And so Jess, you probably have an amazing course in you about investing in M&A and real estate and um, giving you the tools and the template to make that niche course, which is gonna be very actionable for a smaller group of audience. Because with Masterclass, they need to make something that's gonna appeal broadly because the cost of production is so high. Whereas with audio, because the cost of production are lower, you can make something that a thousand people are going to love and that's enough for it to be worth your while. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got Warren Schaefer. If you missed part one, please go back and listen about Noble, the audio first platform. Schaefer, Warren, what's a better intro? What, what's a better elevator pitch for Noble? Noble is an audio first learning platform you can hear from some over 100 plus wonderful experts and we make podcast style courses that are ad-free and help you accomplish your goals faster. And they're really well produced because I already started listening to some people. But can you give us just a quick list of some of like the most successful entrepreneurs, for instance, that you guys have done stuff with so far? Alexis Ohanian is an investor in Noble. He's also the host of one of our most popular courses, which is Launch a Startup. He's the co-founder of Reddit and also recently has become more famous for being married to Serena Williams. He is a veteran entrepreneur and, and a veteran investor now in entrepreneurs. And he has made a course that he and, and I feel like I wish I would have had when I was starting out. So, so I think he's, he's really somebody who's, who's thoughtful about the entrepreneurship space and shares his insights in, in that course. He also talks with some other entrepreneurs like Michael Praisman, the, the founder of Everlane, Eddie Liu, who's the co-founder of Goat. And then you also hear from startup investors like Greg Bettinelli from Upfront Ventures, which is one of the, which is the biggest venture fund, I think, in, in Los Angeles. We have a course coming out with Scott Kelly. He's the astronaut who was in space the longest. I'm really looking forward to, to that course. He's, he's a really inspiring human. And also Mark Bittman, the New York Times food critic, is doing a course on how to cook today. So I think that one will be, be really interesting for a lot of people too. That's cool. I'm interested in your thoughts of navigating doing something new where there's elements, you know, like I told you what we're trying to do, build this big giant real estate investment trust, but just use completely different channels and go after the, you know, instead of going after pension funds, go work with individuals, you know, um, with you guys, I, I'm interested in like, what do you feel like are the principles or how do you make decisions when you're, you're blazing a new path? Uh, help me, help me understand the question a little bit better, Jess. So, so making new plans with... Yeah. So there's not, when there's not a playbook of how audio first platforms are built and you're like, you're building the company, you're building the category, you're trying to run the company, you're trying to raise money. Like you've got all this going on and there's not the like tried and true way to do it. How do you navigate those decisions when nobody knows the right way to do it? It's really tough. I, I think everyone probably heard this adage of launching a startup is basically like jumping off a cliff and building an airplane on your way down. Like that's what it feels like. You're, you're, you are assembling in, pro in, in process. And so having a real clear problem statement is a, is a really good North Star because you can zig and zag, but ultimately you want to know where you want to end up, 
right? What solution, what, what problem is it that you're solving so that you can then find the solution that works best for that problem? So for me, Knowable was born out of a personal frustration of personal problem, which was I wanted to keep learning in a structured way, but I didn't have time. And I felt like podcasts, right? I could listen to a hundred podcasts from, from Guy Ross on how I built this, uh, but I wasn't really getting tactical advice on how do I find my first thousand customers? How do I talk to a co potential co-founder? Right? So again, going back to this advice of solve a problem that you care about, focus on that problem, and then talk with other customers and socialize the idea to find the best solution for that problem. Why do you think so many of us don't talk to customers much and just assume we know their problems? It's one of those things that's, again, it's easy to say and hard to do to make the time. It feels like we kind of just know what customers want. And then every time I do a customer call, I always think, oh, God, that was so valuable. I really, like, I, I don't know. I'm not sure the psychology of why we don't do it. Maybe it's, it, it's probably one of those things that feels important, but not urgent. And like so much of to-dos, the, the important stuff gets waylaid by all the urgent stuff or the stuff that feels urgent. So unfortunately, you can you can run for weeks and not talk to a customer and not notice that it's hurting you, right? But long-term, it's it's really important. I feel like uh, I got called to the woodshed on this last week. We had Steve Blank from Stanford on the show. Mm -hmm. And he's like so serious about like before he hired a PR firm or ad agency, he would go, he would like bring research of like 300 customers that he had interviewed first and be like, yeah. what can you do better than this? And like, it would scare off a lot. And then the ones who had something to offer on top of that is who he would go with, you know, but he just had like an intensity about that, that made me like look in the mirror and go like, yeah, I don't know if I've brought that level of sincerity and like relentlessness to to that of like, you know, I don't know. So, so I'm interested in, I don't know. It, it's a thing for me to think like, what should that look like systematically for us? And how can other people like have it not be that one thing that happened that once, but instead like part of the routine of how our, how our startup grows? Any thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I wonder if there isn't one thing about it where you do enough customer interviews and they start to feel sort of repetitive because you're asking like, the same questions. And so you start to see patterns emerge, which is great. Uh, but maybe you, you stop because you're like, oh, well, everyone keeps saying that they want X. And so I don't need to keep having these, but that, that might be part of the, Part of the problem. So I don't know what Steve got out of 300 versus 100 interviews, right? And it's probably pretty easy to get to 100 and think like, I don't think I'm going to learn a whole lot of new stuff and, and having two or more of these. What, we, what we've done though is created a set list of questions and now I have somebody on the operations team who helps me do interviews and I'll join for them as I can, right? So I always say, invite me to all of them and I'll join as I can um, and, and pop in on them. But at least we know that we're getting some standardized information of areas where we can improve ideas, crazy suggestions, frustrations, et cetera. So I'm interested, like, what do you feel like is one of the learnings you didn't expect or something from that? I had a call on Friday with a customer who, who reached out and I love, I, you know, I like, I, we have a link on the website which says like email the CEO, right? And it's, it's amazing that you get people who just send you emails and, and this one guy asked for, for a discount for more courses because he liked them so much. And so I was like, oh, awesome. You know, I'm happy to, to talk about that, but I, in exchange for, for some input from you. And one thing that's really surprised me is there, there's a category of person out there who is just a relentless self-improver, right? Who really is always looking for ways to make the most of their time, get ahead, reach their potential. And, and that there's a, there's a demographic of person that is in our sweet spot for Noble today for power users. And it's that person who's like, I'm going to go for a run and I'm going to listen to something. And when I listen to something, I want it to be the very best possible good for me content. And so, so it's really reinforced our idea of who our customer is. That's interesting. So how do you adjust? Like, 
when you recognize that, what does that make you want to do that you weren't already planning on? We, it's a great question. Right. You, you don't want to just have conversations with customers and try to validate the, the biases that you already have, right? You actually want to learn from them. We are basically following Masterclass's playbook, which is we launch with an a la carte library, small, and um, are moving towards a subscription. And there's been many points so far where I've thought, oh, I don't know if subscription is the right model for us. And so talking with customers is really the best way for me to try to figure out like, okay, would you would you rather just pay a one-off for each of these things and just cherry pick? Or do you want the bundle? Do you want the kind of whole idea? And so coming into a conversation with a question or two questions that you're struggling with, that's, I think, super, super helpful. And then also being open-minded to, to hearing new things that you wouldn't expect. Interesting. It makes me think I'm a, I'm a big Ryan Holiday fan and I get his like daily Stoics, you know, yeah. stuff. And uh, there's this quote from Epictetus about like, if you would like to get good at something, first believe you're bad at it. Or I can't remember who this quote's from, but like, it's, it's like very hard to learn things you think you already know. Totally. Right? Yeah, there's a, I, I've heard it, this phrase by Stephen Hawking in a really great way, which is the biggest enemy of knowledge isn't ignorance, it's the assumption of knowledge, right? We think we know how to do something and therefore we don't try to get better at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I'd be interested in your thoughts on is, You've obviously got some very notable people who, who you've been able to attract what you're doing. Any thoughts about navigating the like the quality aspect rather than just like the buzz and the sizzle and the like the exciting sexy part? And then sometimes people like I, I love masterclass, I have a masterclass subscription, but I do hear comments back from other people that are not necessarily completely unfounded of sometimes they click on a course and they're like, oh, I was hoping for some real meat and potatoes and this was like a cute intro or something. And like you know, there's people that feel like some some of their classes haven't delivered on the promise. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But man, cool. beautiful production quality, super cool person teaching the class, which didn't go which didn't go so deep. Or any thoughts about navigating that? Yeah, yeah, it's something that we think about a lot. And there's a spectrum, right, of education and entertainment. And we really think of ourselves as being to the closer to the education side than masterclass. And the beauty of audio is that it allows production costs that are much cheaper, right? You can still have high quality audio without the, without the big expense. And so we we think, and I talked about this platform play that we're, we're pursuing, but we really think there's a lot of people who can turn their knowledge into a great audio course, right? And so Jess, you probably have an amazing course in you about investing in M&A and real estate and um, giving you the tools and the template to make that niche course, which is going to be very actionable for a smaller group of audience. Because with Masterclass, they need to make something that's going to appeal broadly because the cost of production is so high. Whereas with audio, because the cost of production are lower, you can make something that a thousand people are going to love and that's enough for it to be worth your while. Yeah, that's an interesting distinction there. Um, so we think for, for us, we think of ourselves as a curated knowledge marketplace. Right. Rather than just being the, the sole creators of all content, allowing third parties to make niche content that goes deeper and uh, might, might be more appealing to a more narrow audience. Yeah. You know, maybe shifting gears here a little bit, I think about, you know, you look at all these years that you've been in the startup world and, and had some great successes and been able to spend time with a lot of folks that have, you know, grown past the hundred million number, or the billion number. In your mind, what do you see different about those CEOs compared to all the other people who they say the right things, they read the right things, they listen to the right audio first learning platforms, <laughs> okay. yeah. but, but they just don't seem to uh, accomplish what those very few do. What, what do you see different about those very few? That's a great question, Jess. I think that the people who I've seen do it, 
they work really hard. They're really obsessed over it. And it, it becomes, and they're also learners. They're, they're adaptable. I'm thinking of the CEO of Goat. And he worked on another company for a few years before they pivoted to Goat. And it was, Goat is, for, for those of you that don't know, and if you don't know Jess, is now the largest uh, sneaker marketplace in the world. And it is... Aren't they doing like over 100 million? It's a huge company. Yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive what they've done. And I, I think they're, in some ways, they are very passionate, but they're also able to hold space for the possibility of, oh, I might be wrong, and I need to look at data and talk to people and see if this isn't working, this isn't working, I need to pivot to something better. So they're always kind of optimizing and, and solving a problem while still headed towards this bigger North Star. So how would you, how would you separate the people from that think they're doing that versus the people that are doing that? Or like, how could people listening to this go like, what could they test against? How can they go, how can they try to self-evaluate? Am I just talking a good game or am I really reaching that level that Warren's talking about as far as just personal input? I think it's, it's a little bit of you of a leap of faith, right? Because Eddie, who started Go, right? He was working for years on a business that was sort of working, but not, wasn't taking off completely. But he decided to, to trust in himself and keep trying to find a, a solution that people wanted, right, in the world. So this is, it's, it's unfortunately really hard, right? Like a lot of people seem kind of crazy in the startup world and a small percentage of them actually end up not being crazy and some of them do. So I'm not sure that there is a clear cut way. And this is why venture is a challenging field, right? For a lot of investors, because you're, you're kind of trying to spot a unicorn before it's real. And so a lot of founders will kind of impersonate and sort of project for, for the signals. But I don't know. I mean, I think that there is, a, there is an element of magic and luck that happens too for startups. You have to be, have the right idea at the right time. So even if you've got the right idea, you might be off timing wise. Yeah. It leads me, I want to ask you the same question. Our, the last two interviews I've recorded, one was uh, General Votel, the four-star general who he, he ran Joint Special Operations Command. That's like the classified level units of special ops, then all Special Operations Command, then all Central Command. And so that's like Iraq, Afghanistan, like all the crazy stuff in the news. He's the guy who's been in charge of that until last year, right? Okay. And, and then the other one was Walt uh, Rakowicz. He's the guy that was the CEO of like, you know, what's now like the third largest real estate company in the world. It's called Prologis, big REIT that has like $120 billion worth of buildings, right? Okay. And I asked them both, I'd be interested in your, you see how your perspective is similar or different. When you're getting a lot of opinions from different people on the team who are, that are passionate opinions, that are differing opinions, and it comes down to this like decision, moving into the unknown, and you have to decide, like, do I, you look at the data, you look at the competing opinions, and then it's up to you, and you're stepping into the abyss. I'm interested in any, like, what that process looks like for you, or, or how you, how you have some faith in yourself, or how, what that, just how you do that, what that looks like for Warren. Yeah, it's a great question, and I think not enough entrepreneurs acknowledge the fact that you do take leaps into abysses often, right? There is, by definition, if you're starting a new venture, you're trying to do something that no one has done before. Something that's become comforting for me is a realization that there isn't always run one right answer. And sometimes you have to just make a decision and stick with it rather than dither. I think a lot of people end up dithering and that's what causes stagnation and failure. So you might, you know, for, for us, for instance, we were thinking, well, should we open up a marketplace, right? Should we allow third parties to create audio courses? And that felt like a really big unknown to us. 
And the reality is you can make a successful company both ways, right? So it's ultimately about how does this align with my personal view of, of what we want to be in the future and assessing from there. I, I'm curious, what did the general say? What did, what did the other, the CEO of the REIT say? You know, they talked about this idea of like gather and listen and like choose humility, choose like radical self-honesty and trust your instincts. And like General Votel was just saying like, listen, if you feel like something is wrong, it probably is, you know? And it's it's funny because it's like, it's ambiguous. We don't have great length in English. We don't have great words to describe that like ambiguity and the tightrope and the pressure and the kind of excitement too. Like all that weird swill, that mix there. You know? Yeah, totally. So I liked your answer though. And I think, I don't know, I think I'll probably be asking people this question for a long time because I hope to improve at it, you know? I had such a, it's such a good one, right? And I think especially leaders, the thing that they make is decisions, right? And so it's amazing that we still don't always have a great framework for how do we make the core product that we're supposed to. Um, yeah. But yeah, it ends up being some component of instinct often. I was impressed. General Votel talked about having a decision-making process. I mean, here's a guy who's making decisions worth so many millions of dollars, but more importantly, with human lives on the line. Yeah. And how, like, he really goes to his people, and he's got good people around him, and he had he had a method he had a more methodical process than most of the business people I've talked. And maybe it's because his decisions have such bigger consequences. He's been forced yeah. to to a higher level of maturity about you know he didn't just lose some money. He didn't just like potentially lose some users, some clients, some customers, right? Right. right. Lost some lives, and so it did make me think like, oh, I don't really have a process. I certainly don't have it written down. Like we probably probably wouldn't hurt for us to write down what is our decision making process on the big ones, you know, and and try, so we can like grade ourselves and get better at it or something. I agree. Yeah, I think frameworks can often be really helpful, but they can also be manipulated too, right? You can ultimately make a framework fit the decision that you want. So sometimes it still yeah. feels like it's coming down to to instinct. And and for a startup, from my perspective, right as a leader, speed matters a lot. And so a bias towards towards making decisions quickly it is important. Sometimes, you know, a lengthy bureaucratic framework to basically validate the answer that the you know the market is pointing you to anyway doesn't always feel worthwhile. Yeah, that's a good point. Wouldn't beat yourself up. Yeah. Well, I know we're kind of winding down here. What's a what's like a soapbox item for you? What's something that you like to talk about? What's something you don't get asked much about in your interviews? What what do you wanna what do you wanna close here as we wind down with? I, I basically split my time between being a parent and being a company founder. So always happy to chat about trying to balance those two things. And I think I remember before I had a kid, I sort of thought, oh, it's impossible to have a kid and run a startup, uh, a young baby, like you can't do both. And a founder friend who's a bit older and had some kids gave me this bit of advice, a bit of advice, which I found really liberating and useful, which is you just become more efficient with your time. And I have also found that the quality of my thinking matters a lot more than the quantity of the time that I put in often, right? So actually having forced time to you know, be present on a different task often helps me make better decisions for my business. So that's something that I you know, like thinking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I've got, four, I've got four kids and wow. my oldest just turned 16 Congrats. and we've basically been doing startups, you know, her whole life. Right. Yeah. And uh, it's funny. They don't take less time when you get, when they get older, like 
it's great because you can like, you have a built-in babysitter and you and your wife can just like go to dinner without <laughs> without having to get you're like we're leaving kids right yeah but in other ways they need they need more attention in different ways and there's a lot more driving them around and there's all this kind of stuff right yeah. And so like, you know, just like the morning routine of getting them out the door means that I don't have as much time to like go work out or, or like sit quietly with myself and try and figure out what my day should be. Like I do have to like, it's like, I do find myself more interested in like 80-20 Pareto principle thinking. Like the, there's a number of books in that genre, but the specifically the Richard Koch one, the 80-20 principle. So he's a guy who worked at BCG, then he went to Bain Consulting when that got started. Then he started his own firm, sold out. I think he made, I want to say he made like $16 million. And then since then turned that into another 300 million by yeah. investing according to the Pareto principle and simplicity and this stuff, right? Yeah. And just like in- extreme intentionality. And so for like the last kind of two, three years, I've been trying to listen part of that book every week. And, mm. and many times every day and just think like, if I want to be the dad that I have always planned on being, I probably can't just like blunt force the business with hours because that's hours I'm taking away from the kids, you know? Totally. Um, so I'm, I'm interested for you what that looks like of increasing the quality because it could sound like just decreasing quantity, but I'm interested in how you increase quality. Yeah. It's thinking about what are the big impact decisions that amplified the business, right? So if I could spend all my time hiring one great person to head content, or I could spend all my time trying to learn how to make great content, that those that feels like the kind of strategic decision where if I wasn't being conscious of quantity of, of limited of a scarcity of hours, I might just think about brute forcing it, right? Versus, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm going to have to go and spend time actually interviewing people and creating a really good recruiting process for how to find the best people in all these different fields. And long-term, I think that sets us up to build a more scalable company, right? Because it's not all relying on just one founder and their crazy scrappiness. Yeah. Maybe my final question for you is, besides what we've covered already, what do you see in the future of audio that maybe not everybody sees? I think voice is a really exciting platform. And it's, I'm hopeful and optimistic that we're actually going to live in a world where we don't spend so much time staring at screens. And we actually spend a lot more time interacting in a natural way with smart devices. So already we're seeing this with smart speakers. My kids, you know, my oldest is three and a half and she talks to the to the device and doesn't have to start a screen in order to do it. And so I think that we're going to see audio becoming just a, a much more daily component of how we how we interact with our, our smart devices. That's great. Well, where's people that need to go sign up for Noble? Where should they be going? Our website is knowable.fyi, and there's a little link on the website which is that says uh, email our CEO and feel free to, to drop me a note. I would love to hear how Knowable can, can work for you or and how we can make it even better. That's great. Well, thanks for making time for this. Thank you so much, Jess. I really enjoyed the conversation. Okay, bye everyone.